I'll come back to another study on Romans. This time we're getting into chapter 7 and 8. So Romans is a dense book. It's building and building the case for Christ and the case for, you know, what to expect as Christians and what Christian living is all about. And it's not an easy book. And Paul wants us to understand that Christian life is not about being easy. It will have tension, the tension between what we spoke about last time, the nature of Adam. We're heirs of Adam in our humanness and the nature of the Holy Spirit when we become Christians. There's a tension between the two. Um, and obviously we've been building up on this talk about the law. And in chapter 7, Paul still has to talk about Jewish law. And if we find that stuff kind of boring, um, perhaps we don't realise just how important it was for the Jews to follow this law. Because in the law, they were seeking to be made right with God. And Paul here is actually offering the Jewish Christians a massive ideological overhaul. So... Spend a bit of time, read the first six verses of Romans 7, and take a few minutes to reflect and think what stands out to you, and maybe what questions you have about all this. So, in our lives, there's lots of different things, like there are here, there's rules to be godly, rules to make yourself right, rules and religious laws, and all sorts of things, and this is no no different today than it was then, Um, but Paul is saying that those things are for people who are spiritually dead, to point the way. And Paul says that... Sorry, my babies are coughing on the floor. Oh, no. And Paul says that Christians die to the power of the law when you die with Christ. So, before we do anything else, maybe just ask yourself, do you feel like you are a shameful mess? And perhaps maybe do you still hold yourself by certain rules that you think you have to be, have to obey before you are made right? Because our world is full of the idea of, like, you know, rightness will out, karmic justice, a bad deed will be balanced by a good one, and if you've messed up, you need to make it right, otherwise the scales aren't balanced. And in many ways, yes, we should be making amends for our sins, but Paul is telling us that salvation, what makes us right, is not found in that way. In the cross, when we believe in Jesus, we become dead to the power of the law, and new life can be found, but found only in Jesus. Now... I'm not suggesting that the church should have no rules. That is not the point here. Um, Paul actually says in verse 7 that God's law is good, and it actually tells us what is good and bad. And we should have rules. As Christians, there is a high standard um, that we're called to, and we should strive towards. But as we read chapter 7, we can see that though God's law and rules are good and should be aimed for, we can't fulfill this in our own strength. So take a couple of minutes, read Romans seven fourteen to 17. And maybe ask, is this something we can relate to? Do we often feel like wanting to do what is right, but we're always making mistakes? So I was a little confused by verse 17 when I first read it, because it initially looked to me like Paul was saying that he wasn't to blame for his mistakes. Now, that's not what he's saying. We can't blame sin or the devil or anybody else for any bad choices we make. But we need to be awake to the fact that we have to be on guard and take responsibility for the choices we make. Yes. And the temptations we allow ourselves to face. And though we have the Holy Spirit, though we are, you know, saved, we are not yet in the full 100% realised kingdom of God. We are still living on the earth and Christ has yet to return. Therefore, we still have part of our very human and very sinful nature living at odds with the Holy Spirit. And just think about this. How often have we made a mistake or messed up and looked back and gone, how did that happen? 
Like, how does that happen? We think, oh, we can do everything right, and then suddenly, oh, I made a mistake again. How did that happen? That is the power of the sinful nature in us that is at odds with the Spirit of God that helps us want to do what is right. And now, read verses 21 to 25, and just have a look at what he's saying. He says, thank God the answer is in Jesus. The answer is not in us. We have a part to play, absolutely, but we cannot in our own nature cure the sinful part of ourselves because that very part of ourselves is imperfect anyway and so paul takes us into chapter eight and he starts it by saying luckily there is now no condemnation for those who belong to christ now this is one of the most famous verses from romans and it works out of the context of the letter but i really believe that having gone on this exploration through romans it carries even more weight everything in the law everything that in our lives um, stacks a set of rules and says you must achieve this to be made right it condemns us when we don't achieve them and we're never going to be able to achieve everything the world makes us think we have to just as the Jews could never achieve everything the law set out but in Jesus all of that stuff is set aside there is no condemnation to those who belong to him and before we read chapter 8 have a think are there any standards or ideals or celebrity or idols or achievements that you have set up into this absolute goal and have been convinced that you have to achieve that in order to have fulfillment or happiness? Now, I'm not suggesting having big goals or ambitions are bad, nor am I suggesting for a moment that hard work and trying to better your home and your health, your quality of work and hobbies and relationships shouldn't be a huge part of your life because it absolutely should. But I am saying if we rely on the pursuits of this world in order to gain a transcendent sense of satisfaction and perfect fulfillment, at some point we are going to come crashing down to earth. Our deepest foundation and our joy cannot last if it is in purely human things. So have a read through chapter 8 verses 1 to 8 and just like make a few notes there for a second. Look at this. In Jesus, the law is fulfilled. Basically, earning our way to God by good works is not necessary anymore. Jesus, by his sacrifice, has earned it for us. And what a relief this must be for Jewish Christians who have lived their whole life toiling and slaving to try and hit this high standard that they could never possibly achieve. To know that the Messiah has come and he doesn't need to be earned. He offers his love as a gift and then what a relief for non-Jewish people who have never been accepted, who have been told that they are not the people of God. There is something as a defect in their very DNA. They are irrevocably separated from God. Not anymore. Jesus has come to be a light to the Gentiles. We are offered a new life. And of course, this brings into some practical matters. What do we do with our new life? We go to church and we pray and there are obvious various cultural things, Christian things that are obvious. Um, and though no, but though we no longer have to earn forgiveness, we do need to be aware of a bit of a theological problem that Paul addressed in chapter 7. When we know what is right, but for some reason we don't do it. Even when we're saved, we still have that part of us that is sinful, which means even as... We go to church and we pray and we are saved. We do need to still be on guard and not take the Holy Spirit and the cross and the resurrection for granted. Now, read chapter 8, 5 to 10. 
and just reflect on it for a bit. Now, how do you feel about that? And do you agree? Because what I've come to realise is that what we dwell on, what we let into our minds and our hearts, will have power over us. It will dictate how we behave and what we do with our money and our time. And if we let the Holy Spirit have control, we will hear his voice. We can follow his guidance and his leading. We will be open to correction and rebuke. And we can move forward into godly things. Just be aware that the pull of sin, that sinful nature, that nature of Adam, will still be with us. We need, as Christians, to focus our habits on the things of the Spirit that lead us into life. Not just saying, well, I've been baptised, one and done, I can do what I want. That is a surefire way to come crashing down to earth. In verse 12, Paul says, we have no obligation to do what our nature urges us to do. Now, how often do you feel like you are urged to do something that's kind of bad or very bad? How often are you told that you can do it because it feels right? I did that. Well, it felt right, even if it was really stupid. And to live any way you please, because if it feels good, do it. Isn't that post-truth? Is that not how... You know, in our year, in 2020, and for the last few years, that's the culture. And be careful, because even in churches, especially with younger Christians, like teenage Christians, and new Christians who have been living in our culture but not in the church, you will find they will be tempted to live this way because the culture says you can do and be and act... Yes, even, yes. Any way you choose... Just be careful that, especially with our young people, we don't promote a Christianity that has to feel right, that has to give them everything they've ever dreamed of and anything they want to do is fine so long as they, you know, believe in Jesus afterwards. There is a truth to that, but just because anything goes is our cultural truth it doesn't mean it is the actual truth it's a very unpopular thing to say but as christians we should have no tolerance for christians who believe that anything goes because that's what post post modern whatever we're in says so and but perhaps you feel like that work or with friends and family that overwhelming peer pressure pull to give in to the temptation of the spirit. If we live lives where that is a temptation, it is even more important that we seek the guidance of the spirit. And as Paul says, let the spirit have control. Because until God returns, life is going to be hard. And that is something I don't think is taught and explained enough. God has promised to renew the heavens and the earth. The resurrection is not just about bringing new life now, but also in that new life, pointing towards a future when all of life will be remade and the true and just God will come and make all things new. So read chapter 8, 18 to 26 and just have a few minutes of reflection. What do you think? Do we understand that even creation, not just us, is living, waiting for the king to bring new life. Because we're called to live in a new life, but remember, we're also called to wait patiently for the full renewal of the heavens and the earth. It's not yet done. God is not yet finished with his renewal of the world. And until he is finished, we need to be patient. Look at verse 26. He says, The Holy Spirit will help us in our weakness. 
We, we can't wait patiently as Christians without help. We're too fickle. We're too easily bored. We're too easily convinced to have instant pleasures rather than being disciplined. But, you know, I want us to be encouraged. Look at verse 31. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Yes, life is going to bring struggles. It's going to bring difficulty. Our sinful nature will war with the spirit and make us feel pulled and tested and stressed and feel like giving up. We will see people in the world getting more and more broken and we might be tempted to live just for today. That old, uh, the old quote, eat, sleep, and was eat, drink, sleep for tomorrow we die. And it's such a huge temptation. But remember this, this verse, if God is for us, nothing can stand against us. And he is. None of this can ever prevail against us in Christ. So let's finish up today with both a challenge and a comfort with yet another very famous part of Romans. Finish up by reading Romans 8, 35 to 39. There are so many famous quotes in just those four verses. Paul is not a stranger to a difficult life. He has been beaten, imprisoned, threatened multiple times. He's seen people in his church turn against him to try and win a following over his head. Like, if anyone is going to be able to tell us how to cope with the challenges of a hard life, it's going to be Paul. And he says, does Jesus no longer love us when we have trouble or calamity? Now, I've, when I was younger especially, I've come up this question with Christians who must have been preached a very weak message. That when their life became tough and they didn't do amazing at school or someone broke up with them or something like that, they suddenly believe that they must have done something wrong and that God is punishing them, that God hates them. I've met people who were struggling with their own personality and they decided to believe that God had abandoned them. Nothing could be further from the truth. We all live in a world, a whole world is groaning and waiting for the king's renewal. We all have this dual nature, this sin and the spirit that war within us. So we are all going to face temptation and difficulty. But in all of this, nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. The cross and the resurrection have overcome the world. To finish up, read back Romans 8, 31 to 39 and maybe reflect about your life. And in particular, think about your heart and your mind and focus when things are difficult and times are hard. Are we encouraged by these verses? Is the truth of Christ a thing we hold on to when things are tough? Or possibly have we been taught a weaker gospel truth uh, that everything should be good all the time? And if you have, reflect back on what Paul says. Things aren't going to be good all the time. Our very nature is going to be a struggle. But be encouraged. The cross and the resurrection of Christ have overcome the world and nothing will separate you from the love of God.